Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And we are your killer couple critiquing and arguing over horror films, like a couple of weirdos at the bar. So maybe we never quite enlighten you, maybe we never blow your mind, maybe we never pop your eyeballs out of your head, (laughs) (laughs) but hopefully you just have a good time listening. So today we are continuing our theme of It Came From 1982 with Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. (laughs) This is a film directed by Steve Miner, who got his start as an editor uh, working with the likes of Wes Craven and and Sean S. Cunningham. He was actually the editor, or assistant editor, I think, on Craven's The Last House on the Left. Uh, And then he was an associate producer on Friday the 13th, which led to him directing Part 2, which we've talked about here before. And then he also, besides this, did the film House, Warlock, Halloween H2O, and Lake Placid. And as I'm saying these, I've realized we've actually (laughs) talked about a lot of Steve Miner movies on this show. (laughs) Uh, He's he's an underrated director, I think. You know, he's, he's done quite a few classics, actually. So... Uh, it was written by Martin Katroser, hopefully I said that okay, who also wrote Fire 13th Part 5 and Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, which he also directed, and we've talked about that <laughs> on the show too. Uh, and it was also written by Carol Watson, who worked on the story for Meatballs 2 with Katroser, but this was kind of one of the few things that she ended up working on, from what I can tell. Film stars Dana Kimmel is Chris. Uh, she got her start in... TV with an episode of Charlie's Angel. Went on to do a lot of TV after this. This was her first big starring role, though. Uh, it also has Paul Kratka as Rick. This was his first role. He didn't really do a bunch of acting again until he did a couple shorts in 2006, and he's done a few things since then, but not really too much. And then, of course, Larry Zerner as Shelley, uh, who was actually discovered at a theater, like working at a movie theater. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of funny because his was one of those stories where it's like he was trying to be an actor, but, you know, he's working at a movie theater as his full-time job or whatever. And I guess I I don't remember if it was the producers or casting department that came up to him, but they just approached him and were like, hey, are you an actor? Because they (laughs) pretty much figured he looked exactly like what their idea of Shelley was for the movies. (laughs) I mean, that's a pretty perfect origin story. Yeah, I wish that could fucking happen to me one of these times. I live in L.A. I've been here 10 years. Why hasn't anybody asked me to be in a movie? Because you need to work in a movie theater. Apparently. I'm funny looking enough. Like, come on. Someone offer me a role. Anyway. Uh, so, so so this was also his first big role. Uh, he went on to have small parts in films such as Knights of Badassdom, Death House, and All the Creatures Were Stirring. Uh, he now actually works as an entertainment lawyer, I believe. Oh, shit. Yeah, no. <laughs> he, right. he, he went on to have quite a good career after this. Um, and then lastly, it also has Richard Brooker as Jason, who he sp- actually spent 12 years as a trapeze artist in what? the circus. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and this was his first big role. 
And then he also appeared in Deathstalker, and unfortunately didn't really do too much after this in terms of like stunts and acting and whatnot. So, so this was kind of a big film for a lot of these actors, you know, outside of Dana Kimmel for a lot of the cast, you know, it was pretty much like one of their first, if not their first role. I mean, and that's awesome because I feel like starting off on Friday the 13th is a pretty huge honor. Yeah, it's it's always just, <laughs> it's always this weird thing I think where it's like you know I, I feel like oftentimes when you're associated with the franchise, specifically a horror franchise, uh, you don't really go on to do a lot of big things. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of rare uh, to have like those Kevin Bacon's and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, yeah. But alternatively, it's also sort of this thing of like you also are remembered kind of forever because you're a part of this franchise right so once you're a part of the community you can never leave right exactly you're ours forever (laughs) we will remember (laughs) you uh so let's see uh we are going to be spoiling everything that we can with the film so if you have not seen it it is streaming on paramount plus if you don't have paramount plus Friday the 13th Part 3 is well worth renting. Yep. <laughs> all the Friday the 13th stuff. All, all of them are a blast. Yep. Uh, so check it out there if you can. But before that, we have our usual spoiler-free content. So just as usual, the tagline versus the film, what we think of the movie overall. So the tagline for Friday the 13th Part 3 was... A new dimension in terror. <laughs> So, what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of Friday 3 overall? Okay, I love that so much because they're not even talking about the movie. They're talking about the fact that the movie's in 3D, and that makes it better. I mean, that was a big deal at the time. Like, basically, the whole thing with Friday 3 was that... 3D was becoming more popular again. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a brief, it, kind of like it always is with 3D. It kind of goes through these brief little gimmicky Pockets. periods uh, where, where you know, film and studios just become obsessed with it. As they should. And, and, and then it goes away after like boo. a couple years, which I also say boo, because <laughs> I really, really miss 3D and horror movies. And I'm, yes. not th- and I'm not talking about like Avatar quality 3D, you know, you know like the really good 3D. We're talking I, about Friday the 13th 3D. Yeah, I miss the really cheap like let's shove a pole in your face yep. kind of 3D, you know, like just the just the ridiculous <laughs> campy 3D. Like that it's shit is fucking best. great. It's fucking great. Yep. And we just haven't had a lot of that in quite a long time you know the last big one that i can remember is my bloody valentine the remake oh, in yeah. 3D. and that's that's the last one that i honestly remember being a thing of recent memory and that was like over 10 years ago i think yeah. so bring it back it's time <laughs> it's time it's time it's Ho- time hopefully hopefully avatar 2 will rejuvenate that yeah, I, I honestly don't that. even it's remember it's gonna be too fancy i want shitty 3d I, I, don't, I honestly don't even remember if avatar 2 is in 3d but let's hope that okay. it is so that it brings us back <laughs> anyway uh so so yeah it was a big deal at the time and the whole the whole thing with this was that paramount was basically like hey we want to do 3d with one of our franchises and they just kind of decided that you know, Friday the 13th was their big franchise that they would experiment with this with. So. And it's the perfect one to do it with. But yeah, I mean, look, I'm obviously going to love this film because it's a Jason film. And I can't not love a Jason film except for Jason Goes to Hell, which I don't think is a bad movie. Fuck off. Jason Goes to Hell is amazing. <laughs> Jason Goes to Hell is a very good horror film, but I don't really like it in the franchise. And I will, I will fight you on that. Man, do, Jason Goes to Hell did something different. I hate it. <laughs> I'm not saying I I'm hate I'm just kidding. The film. You're allowed to like what you like. 
said it's a good movie. What the fuck more you want from me? <laughs> I want you to love it like I love it. <laughs> I do love it, just not as a Friday movie. All right, regardless. Anyway, anyway. Yeah. But yeah, I do really like this one. I think it has a lot of really fun kills, which I always appreciate in Friday the 13th. This does happen to be probably my least favorite Jason um, for reasons we'll go into more once we get into spoiler territory and stuff like that. Poor Richard oh. Brooker. He does a really good <laughs> job. It's just they made choices, and I understand them. I just don't respect them. <laughs> right. So you're, you're not talking about Brooker's performance. No, you're talking no, no. about things that happen with Jason shit. in the movie. Yeah, yeah no. character shit. No, no, he did a great job. Yeah, he was I, fucking terrified. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get there in a minute. And so, you know, while we're on that, just really quick before we get into spoilers, is I, I do want to say, you know, Richard Brooker, I feel like, is often regarded as one of the lesser-liked Jasons, not because of character stuff, mm-hmm. but because of performance. Oh. And, and, and you know, I, I, I want to sort of defend him there because uh, for a long time I felt the same. You know, obviously Kane Hodder is most is people's favorite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, and there have been a lot of great performances within the Jason realm. But I feel like, you know, Richard Brookery gets a lot of crap because – you know, people sort of describe this as like the Frankenstein walk where where Jason is very much like, you know, doing the kind of like bulky Frankenstein thing. Mm-hmm. And I actually, you know, this is the most that I or the closest that I've ever studied Friday the 13th Part 3 has been this past week. And it, the more that I kind of look at it, the more I'm like, you know, for one, he deserves a lot of respect because he basically kind of invented what Jason would become. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, well, that was not the way it was done in part four. That is pretty much the way that Jason's been since like mm-hmm. part five, you know? So, so he kind of invented like what Jason would become. And at the same time, you know, I kind of love that it's sort of this universal monster <laughs> kind of performance, you know, where yeah. like he did, honestly become like Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster. And I kind of adore that. Like I kind of, I kind of love this idea of Jason being in that realm of, you know, the universal monster verse, you know, at this time. He kind of is. Cause look, this is the, the second movie that Jason himself appears in and he's already suffered damage from the first time he shows up. So I'm sorry if you could take a machete to your shoulder and walk like a normal human being after that, I'd like to see you try. He gets his Frankenstein walk. Like I definitely agree with you. Cause for me, like studying this film i have a whole new mythos for jason for the first like three movies that he's in um which i will get more into so so i think his performance is great and really makes sense because jason's barely in part two we don't really see him as he's a lot more in the shadows if i remember correctly yeah um and so this is somebody who's really starting off how does jason move how does jason interact when we actually see him on camera and yes, there are some silly things. There are some very silly well, things that happen, but that's why I love Friday the 13th, damn it. Well, well it's supposed to be, and we'll yeah. get to why in a sec, but um, you know, something else I want to mention before we get into it is that, just because I find it fascinating, is that, you know, so Minor, like I mentioned, directed part two as well, and apparently the original concept for part three that he wanted to do is he wanted Amy Steele to actually return as our hero in this, and in part three be committed to an asylum and then throughout the movie there would be murders happening and it, 
you know, no one would be aware if it was Jason or if it was her, you know, kind of Ooh. kind of doing a little bit of like the what part five sort of did. Uh-huh. And, and you can see a lot of elements kind of of that in part five, you know, minus the asylum. Yeah. That was kind of the original concept. And, you know, Amy Steele didn't really want to come back and the studio wasn't really all for it, which in the long run might have been the better way to go. Because because yeah. I think that, you know, by having let, let's say that they did that, you know, and, and that they went with, say, Amy Steele as the killer, mm-hmm. you know, or something like that. Like, it, that would have kind of changed the trajectory of Friday, and we wouldn't really have Jason as we know him. Yeah. Um. So maybe it's better that it happened this way. But I did kind of find that interesting of, like, you know, I, I would love to read that script. I want to see that movie in an alternate universe. <laughs> <laughs> that that movie exists in the same universe where we get Stab as a movie. Yes, exactly. Yes, we want to go to that universe where Stab is the franchise. I, I don't know if I want to live there, but I want no. to visit. Yeah, we'll, we'll visit to go and watch movies. But anyway, so yeah, no, Friday 13th Part 3, it, it was the most successful Friday uh, for a very long time. I think only Freddy vs. Jason has technically topped it through box office, and okay. you know, some of that's due to inflation. So, <laughs> <laughs> so no, it, it was the su- most successful Friday for a long time, and we're going to get into you know, some of the reasons of maybe why and why this film works and whatnot. So again, if you have not seen it, please go check it out on Paramount Plus or rent it well with your dollars. Yep. Uh, otherwise, we're getting into the spoilers now. So spoiler time. Okay, so let's just start off with, I think, you know, the, 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 the most standout thing about this movie, maybe, which is the 3D. <laughs> you know, just... What are your thoughts on the 3D and like how it's used in this film and how it fits into sort of the the Friday the 13th franchise? Okay, so like we were talking about before, I fucking love 3D and I love 3D of this caliber of, you know, we're going to stab you in the face with shit. We're going to hand you a joint. Like, we're going to do really... I, I love it when a movie hands me a joint. <laughs> right? Like, come on, movie. Let's let's talk up together. <laughs> It's really, it's really fun. It never really scares you. It's always kind of just like a little bit off, but it is just fun. And that's what's cool about this. You know, we did have like a 3D revival like a couple of years ago. And I hate, I hated that round of 3D (laughs) because that round of 3D. And like you mentioned with Avatar, all of that is about giving these movies this really beautiful depth. You get depth to the movie instead of things poking you in the fucking eye. And, like, the depth is cool, but I want to be jabbed in the goddamn eye okay, with well, a knife. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to join you on saying I hated that 3D because I, know, I do think that that 3D is awesome and beautiful. It is, but I want to be stabbed in the eye, okay? Yeah, no, I mean, look, when it, when it comes to horror, I mm. want this kind of 3D. Yes. When it comes to Avatar, I want the kind of 3D Avatar gave me. Like that, that, that's the kind of That's the kind of movie where you really want to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, with something like Friday, you know, again, it's the right kind of 3D. Yeah. It's it's the 3D that is jabbing stuff at you. It's all about having fun. It's mm-hmm. all about inviting you into the movie, you know, and just kind of getting to participate with it in a way that you haven't been able to before. And and there is a campiness to it, you know. Oh, there's yeah. no, there's no there's no way to do this, this kind of 3D and horror and not just be campy with it. Like this is know, the beginning of Friday Camp. Yeah, a little bit actually, yeah. you know. So so one of my favorite things about uh friday 13th part three is that you know unlike part one and two which i also love Mm -hmm. unlike those which were much more focused on the horror element of it 
and and really truly trying to be scary. Yep. Uh, which isn't to say that Friday the 13th Part 3 doesn't try to be scary. It does. It and just has other shit going on. And at the time, it was very effectively scary. Like, if you listen to any of the cast talk about it, they'll mention, it, you know, their time seeing this in a in a theater with an audience and how everyone was just, like, terrified, including the cast. Because, <laughs> again, Aww, this simpler is, times. I mean, it was 40 <laughs> years ago, you know? It's a different experience then. So yeah. <laughs> it's not like now where, you know, we perceive Jason a little bit differently. But... Uh, but those first two films were all about being scary, and part three really is where Jason, you know, becomes on the path to becoming an icon. Because, I mean, we got to remember, you know, even after two movies, Jason still wasn't at that level, you know? He's, yeah. he's in the first film for, like, all of uh, ten seconds, maybe. The second film, you know, like you mentioned, we barely see him. He's not really much of a character yet nope. and and it's this film that really started to kind of solidify what the franchise would be moving forward as i mentioned before with our whole part three month <laughs> you know it's kind of that point where a lot of franchises figure out what they are <laughs> what they're going to be and and so what's so fun about this is after you get through that whole opening sequence kind of flashing back to part two and what happened in the ending there you know we get this focus on pamela Voorhees' head and you just have the Friday 3 title just shoot out of her fucking eyes at you. <laughs> you know, just like burst out of there right into your face. Mm-hmm. And you get Harry Manfredini's like a remix score where, you know, it's more of like a kind of like a fun remix this time. Yep. You know, like it gets you like wanting to dance and shit. And, and then it's you get... Pumped. Yeah, and you get all the titles like playing over just the foggy atmosphere and everything. Like Friday Three is a party movie to me. Yes, you know it, it invites you in right away and being like, "Hey, have a joint, <laughs> sit down, and let's just have a fucking blast watching Jason murder people." You know, it's the first Friday film to just really have that attitude of like, "Let's just have some fucking fun." You yeah, know? sex, drugs, and murder. Sex, drugs, and gore. You know. <laughs> that about that like you know you were telling you're mentioning earlier what this movie could have been and i'm gonna honestly say i really wish a franchise would stop being a fucking coward and do it because there's been multiple horror franchises now that have thought about setting somebody up who's been traumatized by our killer to become the new killer and i think that's such a fucking cool concept that I wish somebody would grow some goddamn balls and make that franchise because it, it would be amazing. It's just tough, you know. It it's is. tough because because really you because you always you know fan bases are so. We like what we know. Well, we like what we know, but but they're you know it's the Halloween three effect. Like once yep. you become used to a character, you know, in a franchise like this, in a horror mm. franchise, the, the fans have a certain expectation, and yeah. and it's it's really difficult to deviate from that from going from like. Michael Myers to, you know, Jamie Schrode. Like, as much as some of us would love to see that, it's a really tough call for studios to make. So I get it, but... But I do agree, like, you know, it'd be interesting to see a franchise actually succeed with that. (laughs) Yeah, you only really have one movie, because, like, as much as we might love a murderer in the first movie, we haven't gotten attached until we see them in another one. But, having said that, as cool as that would be, and as much as a tirade I could go on that, I love the fact that Friday the 13th, this is... You know, the 3D and everything about this movie is what makes me love this franchise. Mm. You know, it is the campiness. It is, like, the silly characters. Because, you know, 
the the characters we meet in part one and part two are much more like a little bit more down to earth kind of characters. Yeah. And in this one, we get you know the two potheads who are you know silly when, fun characters to watch. We we which but which by the way, not to interrupt you, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I'll say it later. Is that I love that the way both of those characters die is by technically going up in smoke. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's very nice. Right? One of them gets electrocuted and the other one gets a fire poker through them and there's smoke involved in bolts. <laughs> I love that you caught that detail. Yeah. Uh, but no, but it, it is details like that that make us love this franchise and that all starts with this film and it doing 3D. And so, yeah, give us more fun, weird 3D like this in horror. Yeah, no, it's for sure. The thing I will say, though, you know, you mentioning characters is that a lot of the cast did have a difficult time with this movie because the fact that it was 3D mm-hmm. uh, automatically puts the focus on the technical elements of the movie. Yeah. So, so Minor was actually under a lot of pressure doing this film because, you know, it's basically, there, there's more money involved with doing the 3D. It's a more complicated setup. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of became the focus. And, you know, it's funny to listen to actors talk about it because a lot of them will sort of, you know, kind of be like, yeah, they weren't really paying for the acting with the budget <laughs> of this movie. <laughs> and, and, and well, and well, I think that the cast overall did a pretty good job. Yeah. You know, you could definitely sort of understand where they're coming from. And, and so it, it was a difficult shoot, you know, the, uh, like I think Brooker mentions that the, the actual shot where the fire poker is coming towards the camera uh, he says they did something like 32 takes of that. Holy and, shit. And the reason is because the way that the camera is set up, it's kind of hard to describe. But if you can imagine like sort of a, you know, small rectangular box, basically to achieve the 3D effect, you know, you have to you have to get whatever you're shoving into people's faces. You have to get it directly into that box. <laughs> Very sexual. Um, yeah, good aim. <laughs> you got it. You got to have good aim to get in that box just right, you know. So, <laughs> so, so whenever they're doing these takes, you know, they have to like perfectly get it right in the center of this shot, in in the center of this little box. And like Larry Zerner mentions the scene where he throws his wallet, mm-hmm. and how they had to do that over and over and over and over again because he's trying to get the wallet <laughs> thrown perfectly into the middle of this camera, right? So. That sounds obnoxious. Yeah, so I mean, there is a reason that movies don't do this more often. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which is unfortunate, but but no, but but I think from that reason, it it is why I think this is one of you know maybe the better Friday films uh, because there is that extra element of attention to detail with it, mm-hmm. and and you see too, like they did a lot of really interesting shots with this. You know, yeah. it's not like. Of course, you have the ridiculous 3D, which makes it more fun, but they, they, they were doing all kinds of, like, interesting crane shots and stuff like that, too. And, you know, by the time you get to, like, the remake, you know, they're not they're not really going for that no. kind of fancy-smancy stuff anymore, you know? So. I know? They missed out. One of the things I like that this sets up is the fact that Friday the 13th is a gimmicky series. Yeah. And I appreciate that about it this It knows series. what it is. Yeah. It really does. It, yep. It's why I think it's one of the more successful franchises, you know? like Yeah, it is. The, you said it. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that, you know? It, it absolutely is. It's mm-hmm. fucking beloved by everybody, you know? Yep. It's it's why I think it is more successful and, and why, you know, why I personally prefer it over something like Halloween, which, you know, <sighs> the first... Listen, the first two Halloween movies are great, and there mm-hmm. are decent sequels that come after that. 
but but the Halloween franchise always took itself very seriously. You know, it very rarely kind of stepped out or or really I think recognized mm-hmm. what it eventually became. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Friday kind of knew from the beginning. You know, Friday as early as this part three is like, yeah, we're no, we know we're trash, and we're yeah. just gonna have fun with that. You know, <laughs> like would and, you perchance say that Friday is the best franchise? Fuck no, that's Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> Damn it, I was so close. <laughs> you never get me to admit that. <laughs> But no, but it knows what it is. And, and you know, speaking of that, like something that we've talked about previously with the Friday franchise is that, you know, it does have a very strong voyeuristic element to it. Like ever, yep. ever since the first film where you have the point of view of, you know, Pamela watching the camp counselors and everything. Mm-hmm. And something that I think is fun about part three is that it really enhances that theme of voyeurism mm-hmm. because this time it's not just the audience kind of being like, in the shoes of the killer at times, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this time, it's almost like the film is literally speaking to us. Yeah. You know, like, I love the moment where they come across our our new Harbinger. <laughs> Harbinger. You know, <laughs> R.I.P. Ralph. <laughs> like, like, I, like, I love there when we... There must always be a Harbinger. Yeah, like, I love when we get to the new Harbinger, and he's holding an eyeball out to the camera, and he's, like, you know talking to the kids but also in a way talking to us and be like i have warned thee <laughs> and when he says that line i i like to spell it in my head as him saying i is actually e y e for obviously I. <laughs> obviously be, but but it's in a sense of almost speaking to the audience directly and being like i've warned you you're about to see some shit you know like it's it's the franchise telling us at that time of like you know we're going to invite you into this experience where you are going to experience, you know, murder and gore and sex and drugs, you know, like it's, it's like, I have warned you, you know, cause we always <laughs> like to apply like morality to Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a fun way of the film being like, like talking to us fans who are there for exactly that stuff of like, yeah, like fuck the man. Like I'm <laughs> f- fuck the like hardcore Christians that are telling me this is going to like rot my brain and shit. Like, yeah, fuck yeah. I'm here for this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the nice thing about 3d is it means that, you know, it takes to your point, it takes that voyeuristicness to the next level because not only are we watching everything, but again, we're being passed a joint. We're being passed an eyeball. You know, we're participating in this movie. And that's what Friday the 13th is for me. Friday the 13th is this campy, you know, franchise. It's just like, cool, are you in it to win it? Let's do this. Having said that, with this franchise, I do have to say that the one issue I have with Friday the 13th Part 3 is Jason and Chris's Yeah, you, you and everybody else. Yeah, look... <laughs> Like making Jason a fucking rapist. Well, okay. Now let's not let's not directly say that. Like, so the thing the he thing did assault the, her, and she doesn't remember what happened. Well, right. You can't say for sure though. So we're not saying okay. Jason's a rapist, but he does assault but, women. But well, well, we know he assaults. <laughs> he murders women, but now we know yeah, he also assaults them. Um, I think murder is assault, Chris. Uh, but <laughs> you know what I mean. I know what you mean. But look, uh, so while we can't say it. You know, well, we cannot definitely say it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, Friday the 13th Part 3 does imply Jason as a rapist. And it it goes very much against both the character that came before and after, you know, Mm -hmm. because this is the one time that you ever see Jason sort of perceived or presented this way. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the only other 
big change I've ever seen to Jason was in the remake when they kind of implied he's like a pot farmer. Oh, I fucking <laughs> hate that. And he like keeps women chained up. Fuck that shit. Yeah, it gets a little weird then. But you know, but it, but this is but this is the only time that we've ever really presented him as this because you do have the whole backstory with he and Chris where you know yes, she basically tells a story of being attacked in the woods by him and he's trying to grab at her and then she blacks trying. out. She, he does. Okay, he does. And then she blacks out and and wakes up in bed, right? Yeah. And so, you know, reading between the lines, mm-hmm. yeah, your your boy's a bit of a a bit of a, Your a bit boy of a, is a child a a molester, t- <laughs> so don't even talk to me. I'm not defending <laughs> Freddy right now, am I? <laughs> but but I'm yes, defending Jason though. But yes, well, I'm attacking Jason. <laughs> I'm a, I am accusing him of the crime he is guilty of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those things of just like I feel like this early on in a franchise, I kind of understand it, and weirdly, I prefer it in a movie like this as opposed to the remakes remakes have a tendency to want to make the villains be more human we've seen that in the halloween one the friday the 13th nightmare on elm street you know we we don't want that we just want them to be killers like they are originally Mm. you know them trying to make him more human in the second one that he appears in weirdly makes sense because like in Friday the 13th Part 2. This is he going to make some more human by implying he's a rapist? <laughs> no, I, I think that this is before we've decided that Jason has that supernatural element. It's before he's become, like when Michael shows up in Halloween, he's just a silhouette. Jason is a little bit more complicated because the first time we meet him, he's a fucking mama's boy worshipping his dead mother's head and can easily be fooled by a sweater. You know, uh, okay. <laughs> this is this is a dude who isn't necessarily supernatural yet. He is some weird backwater redneck who has you know mental deficiencies or what have you. You know, so them doing that with Jason, I don't love because you know what? Fuck it. I'm claiming Jason as my ace representation. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> He's mine. Uh-huh. Um, and that's another reason why I really don't like it so much with this but weirdly if they were going to put it anywhere in the jason franchise early on is not the worst place to put it but i wish they had it can you just not have him be an assaulty rapist well look i think i think most friday fans if not all of them we wish re- we wish reject this th- canon <laughs> wish that this was not part of the friday canon yeah you know yeah. i i think i think anyone can agree with that because we you know Murder, fine. Like, yeah, that's I mean, totally every, fine. Everyone's fine with murder, but when it comes to this sort of thing, you know, that's not okay. So, no. <laughs> uh, so, so you know, it. But, but thematically, I think it's interesting. And yeah, that's right. You all thought I was going to get through Friday three without touching on some random theme. Ha ha. No, nope, nobody you. thought that, man. Um, <laughs> nobody thought that. <laughs> the thing, the thing that I, you know, it is, it does add an interesting element to the theme with it because, you know, something that all of the Fridays sort of do is when you do study them closely, like they all do kind of imply Jason in different kinds of ways, you Mm -hmm. know, like, like what he sort of is. And the thing that I like that this does is, you know, this does touch on or, or Friday three does touch on, you know, kind of that theme of sort of like the danger of men with women, you know, and, and, Oh, and this just, one hardcore goes into it. Well, hardcore goes into it, you know, beginning with this relationship with, mm-hmm. with Chris and Jason, where it's like, you know, we get this implication of Jason. And then even before that, 
there's the the opening which this is maybe reading a little too much into it as i <laughs> feel like i tend to say on this podcast um but but you have the opening with the grocer who's like super train obsessed you know and so and train obsessed and actually studying the film like for the first time you know chris and i it was the first time for each of us really kind of noticing like how fucking obsessed with trains this dude is like go back and watch this movie there is so much train imagery They're, in the grocery store it's fucking <laughs> everywhere but but anyway I, I think that the train imagery is potentially there uh because it it implies jason as sort of like this unstoppable locomotive you know yep. Like, like the, like the sign in the grocery is like, look out for the locomotive, you know? Mm -hmm. And Jason himself is kind of like this unstoppable train that just like barrels through and destroys everything. But the way that that applies to Chris is that, you know, for her, he's basically like this trauma and this trauma that, you know, so many women face with, you know, instances like this with men where, mm. where it kind of becomes like this just nonstop force that just you know, destroys and, and haunts your mind, so to speak. Yeah. So. No, I, I definitely agree. I really feel bad for, for Chris in this film because the whole reason they're kind of going out to the lake is that Chris is really trying to process and come to terms with what happened to her. Right, so, she's like facing her fear, really. Yeah, and I think that it's interesting that, like, you know, she's she's going back to the place that it happened, and of course Jason shows up because it very much, for me, represents the fact that, yeah, you can't necessarily escape something like that. You kind of have to learn to to live with it as, as a part of you and something that happened to you. But you can't escape that. But I think that that's kind of doubled, or they doubled down on that with um, her boyfriend, Rick, mm -hmm. um, just for the fact that not only is Chris dealing with this trauma, but it's also kind of, you know, showcasing how women who deal with this trauma sometimes have to deal with these partners who don't understand and who mm. are trains in their own sense. Rick is an unstoppable force of, I want to fuck you, Chris, and I'm not going <laughs> to be shy about it. Like, this dude's a complete well, asshole, and I would well, punch him in the dick. Well, so, so you know, there, yes, uh, you know, some will dismiss Rick as kind of being like, well, he doesn't know what happened, you know. And it doesn't matter. He's a it, jerk. I think I think it's a little too far to call Rick a jerk. I don't think he's a jerk. But, you know, he – and I say that because, you know, in a certain respect, he doesn't know. So he's, like, confused why, why you know, she's sort of reserved with him in this way, right? So he doesn't mm -hmm. know. It doesn't dismiss his – uh, his actions, but, but you know, I, I wouldn't exactly say he's, like, 100% guilty. The thing with him, though, that's interesting is, from her point of view, you know, they do sort of show that difficulty of having the experience that she's had and, and kind of, you know, the way that life is affected after that because, you know, we don't know who Chris was before that mm -hmm. thing happened with Jason, but... But you see in that first moment with Rick where it's like, you know, he, he scares her by, like, grabbing her and trying yep. to make out with her. And that's an implication of, like, how for Chris now, you know, things as simple as that kind of, like, aggressiveness mm -hmm. from a man is frightening. Yeah. You know, like, the, like the film's trying to establish, like, this is scary for her. You know, mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not just, like, 
oh, he's just being obnoxious Rick, you know? Yeah. It's actually scary to have this dude, like, grabbing her and wanting to make out, you know? It's not I'm, an innocent thing for her. So. I'm going to go on a limb and say it's not an innocent thing for any woman because she well, doesn't right. know that he's there. Well, right. No, no. And, yeah. and that's the thing. I mean, no no one, like, not even just women, no one wants to be yeah. aggressively grabbed and, and scared like that and just forced against the wall and kiss. Yeah. You don't even know who the fuck grabbed you. So. Exactly. And so, but, but that's the thing is the film is 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 putting Rick in the same box as Jason by yes. doing that, by kind of saying it's one and the same. Yeah. You know? I, and I think that's the interesting thing is I think that Friday the 13th, you know, with the Jason stuff is kind of setting up a lot of our male characters to kind of view how their actions that we perceive normally as innocent and fine really aren't through the lens of an experience like what Chris went through with Jason. Mm. Um, because you're right, Rick isn't necessarily, wouldn't normally be considered a dick, but at the same time, a lot of what he's doing and pressuring Chris with, he's not really respecting her boundaries or the things See, that she's sending out. And it's this need that she has to explain her trauma, which I don't feel like she should have to, in See, order for him to respect her. Well, see, but this is why I say mm -hmm. that that he that I don't consider him a dick, because I think it's important for, for men watching it mm -hmm. to understand that, you know, because... You know, a, a lot of people in general are not going to consider themselves the bad guy, right? Yeah. You know, and, and I think it's important for, for men especially watching this to, you know, see this and understand that, like, yeah, you're not always the bad guy, mm -hmm. but but this is, like, a bad thing to do, you yes. know? So I think it's exactly. important. So I think it's important to see Rick as a decent guy mm -hmm. who's just kind of making the wrong assumptions and the and the wrong mistakes with this you know yeah no i completely agree with with that he's not a bad guy but it does mm. showcase how his actions you know when you don't know what someone's been it, through ba basically respect people's boundaries is yeah. what is what friday 3 13th part three is trying to say respect respect boundaries or jason will put a machete through your face yeah maybe don't <laughs> pressure people into sex well, and that so yeah. but but you know but so, so Chris used to actually be one of my least favorite uh, final girls in the <gasps> franchise. And I know, I know. Well, and, you and, don't like me. Well, you I love, but <laughs> but you know, and, and maybe you yeah. have to defend your namesake here, you know, because if Chris's don't stand up for other Chris's, you know, what world well, are we well, living in? Exactly. So, <laughs> but you know, she used to be one of my least favorites, and after kind of studying this film more and more. You know, I've gained so much more respect for her because she yep. is really a fascinating character. Mm -hmm. Like, like once you look at this kind of element of it and the trauma that she's processing and how it's kind of represented throughout the movie, like, it is kind of fascinating, you know, because aside from all of this, is there's also the sort of visual uh, motif of, like, you know, we constantly see Chris either through windows or we see her reflection represented in mirrors, and it keeps having this sort of implication of like there are two sides to her you know there's like this this uh withdrawn side to chris that is hiding deep inside of her you know that that we're getting little glimpses of and it, like the shots you know and we get shots both through the mirror or, or through the window and from her perspective out the window if that yeah. makes sense you know so it's kind of like we see both as the voyeurs in this movie which the 3d helps uh enhances mm -hmm. We sort of like are kind of seeing Chris from the voyeur perspective, as well as the internal perspective of her looking out. Yeah. So, so it's kind of interesting in that way. And then, of course, I love the the sort of imagery or or the metaphor of like Jason 
the first time that she encounters him in the movie, if you don't count the flashback, is that is her is him throwing Rick through the window <laughs> and and just barreling in. Yep. And it's almost sort of like, you know, it, it's almost sort of like Jason has been on this other side of the glass the whole movie. And then it, him finally smashing through this window and coming at her, it's kind of like Jason moving from her subconscious to reality and confirming for her of like, yes, this thing that's haunted you this whole time is real. Mm-hmm. It happened. You deal know? with it. <laughs> well, not deal with it, but yeah. it happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like confirmation for her because she spends the whole movie not really sure, like, you know, what happened or why and no one believes her. And it's kind of like this moment of like legitimizing yeah. You know, as because so many women go without that after an event like that, mm-hmm. you know, it's this moment of legitimizing of like, oh, yeah, it happened. Yep. You know, and, and Jason is here and he's a part of your life. Mm-hmm. And now you got to fight him to the death. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what I'm going to all say is that Friday the 13th has some of the most complex final girls, I want to say, in a lot of horror franchises. But aside from Rick, can we talk about the other boy I don't like in this film? I'm guessing that's Shelly. <laughs> yes, it is. Fuck Shelly. <laughs> yeah, so I so I know a lot of you listening are automatically like, excuse me? You know, because because Shelly is, you know, one of, I think, the most beloved characters in the franchise. And, and, well, hang on here. You know, he is one of the most beloved characters in the franchise. And look, Larry Zerner himself is delightful. I'm sure uh, he and, is. And I, and I think he's the delightful performer in this movie, you know? The thing with Shelly is that, you know, look, I actually have a piece coming out on this soon, hopefully, that I wrote recently. But, you know, Shelley, to me as a young horror fan, really spoke to me and I really identified with him for a long time because he is representative of the outcast in a lot of ways. You know, he is representative of the outcast in the sense of like, you know, struggling to be understood, not really knowing how to be around people, mm-hmm. you know, and he kind of represents like how a lot of horror fans were, you know, I, as a kid wore a mask and tried to scare people like Shelly did. Cause that was my way of sort of, you know, expressing myself and whatnot, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was perceived as like a fucking freak, you know? So, <laughs> so, so I, so a lot of you us, were a freak. I mean, I was a freak, but so a lot of us, you know, I understand why a lot of people identify with Shelly and mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, there's the one element of Shelly though, that does make you rethink him a bit and fits into the theme of the movie is that, you know, there's this whole setup where he's supposed to be on this blind date with Vera, uh, played by Catherine Parks, and and you know, it's automatically like putting this pressure on her because which is bullshit. Which is bullshit, and I mean, you know, that's the shitty thing about blind dates is yep. there's always pressure, and yep. they've never worked out for me personally. So. <laughs> I don't think they work out for very many people. Uh, maybe not, but um, but you know, she's under this pressure and. It, She's like trying with Shelly, you know, and she, and that's the thing is Vera is actually, I think, a character, and this is what the piece is about. Vera is actually a character that's much more deserving of appreciation, I think, because Fuck yes, because we we so I feel like fans really look her over because of the love for Shelly, mm-hmm. you know, and sort of, and so we end up feeling bad for Shelly that he doesn't get the girl. But the thing is, is that Vera is spending the whole movie really trying with Shelly, you know, yep. like she's curious about his makeup kit. Uh, she allows him to come with her to the store, even after he pisses her off. 
she stands up for him. She's the only one in the movie who doesn't make fun of Shelly or shit on him. Yep. You know, uh, she she compliments him and builds up his confidence when she says that Shelly made the, you know, the bikers, like, see the error of their ways or whatever. Um, and then even in the end, after she dismisses him, or not the end, but the end for them, mm-hmm. after she dismisses him, you know, she still tells him, like, I like you. You're just such an asshole yep. sometimes. And and she's, like, looking at the picture in his wallet and, like, smiling. Like, she clearly has some sort of feeling for Shelly. Whether it's friend or lover or whatever, she clearly has something for him. But the moment that makes me turn on him a little bit is when she does deny him. And he calls her a bitch. Yep. And, and the reason why is, like, look, to some of you it might seem like such a little thing. And... But the thing is, is that, you know, no, no, not just no woman, no person should have to feel like shit for telling you no if yep. you express, you know, that you want to fuck them, basically. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like no one should have to have fear of that. And, and women especially go through, you know, this this anxious sort of fear of of saying the word no. Yeah. We're, so. we're much more likely to be attacked either vi- verbally or physically for just saying no, for setting boundaries. Yeah. Here's my thing. I Again, tying into the whole thing with Chris. Like, it's just part of the theme of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I am the theme of the movie. You are the theme of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, this is my issue with Shelley. I get why a lot of people, you know, can relate to him and stuff like that. But Shelley, for me in this movie, shows the error in thinking sometimes. You know, because Shelly is not disliked by his friends. Yes, his friends make fun of him a bit. But it's usually after Shelly has done something that, you know, oversteps their boundaries. You Hmm. know, because it's him stabbing one of his friends in the back when he's not looking. It's him pretending to be dead and scaring the shit because his friends care about him. And discovering his dead body is terrifying. Yeah, I mean, that shit would annoy the hell out of me, yeah. too, if I was his friends. <laughs> and that's the thing, is Shelly has a really heartbreaking line, and I think this is why a lot of people, you know, want to identify with him, that when um, Vera calls him out on the dock and says, you don't have to be an asshole, and his response is, it's better to be an asshole than nothing. Right. You know, Shelly is that type of outsider. Well, he's, he says being a jerk is better than being a nothing. Yes. Um, you know, he's... I took the same notes. <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, he's... We all can relate to that. We don't want to be nothing. We don't want to be invisible. We want our friends and the people who we care about to see us. But Shelly makes the mistake of only doing it with negative attention. That's mm. Shelly this entire movie. He never gets attention positively. Um, it's very rare when he does that. You know, here's my thing. Shelly doesn't deserve Vera because, like you said, Vera tries fucking hard to get to know him as a person. Shelly just sees Vera as a girl he wants to fuck. And when you do that, you don't get the fucking girl. Sorry. Well, well, right, because he, you know, he's pretty much all about the idea of, like, getting in her pants before he even meets her, right? Cause exactly. She's like, she's like his set-up date, so she's supposed to, you know be his and like you know i've been there like it's yeah. typical of dudes to be like you know yeah you're horny you know you want to you want to you want to get some because there's the implication that you could you know and that so you know so he has it in his mind from the get-go of like yeah no fear of me you know yeah but yeah it's the realization of like well just because you're set up on a blind date doesn't mean she, she has owes to you do shit. <laughs> doesn't mean she owes you anything shelly you know so no it's an interesting relationship i again i get why people love shelly mm-hmm. uh but i do think that you know basically the whole the whole moral of this outside of the theme of kind of the movie is just 
let's give a little love for Vera. You yeah. know, let's let's show a little love for Vera and Catherine she's Parks because awesome. <laughs> she's pretty badass. Yep. You know, um, like like I love how she just stands up to the ba- to the bikers and everything mm-hmm. with this like you know don't fuck with me kind of grin on her face, you know, like, yep. <laughs> and also just again, cause I, I do actually think Miner's is a good director. I love the visual cue of once, uh, of once Shelly has, you know, had his heart broken by Vera or whatever. Uh, we see the shot again from the outside looking in. So kind of like looking into Shelly a bit and we look at him through a cracked mirror or yeah. through a cracked window. You know, so I kind of I kind of love that of being like, oh, Freddie's or, or Shelly. <laughs> I kind of love that of like, oh, Shelly's heart Aww. is broken, is cracked. <laughs> well, well, I'd feel worse. Yeah, but but so then this, of course, you know, of course, you know, one, one of the iconic things with Shelly that people love to mention is, well, he gave Jason his mask. Yep. You know, and, and this is like just again, just like beautiful Friday history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In Friday 13th Part 3 is this is where Jason, again, really becomes, I think, an icon because he gets that hockey mask. And look, as much as we all love Sackhead Jason or as much as some of us love Sackhead Jason. I love Sackhead Jason. He's so adorable. That that hockey mask. Oh, man. Like, I I grew up just, you know, I grew up like even as a kid, like at six years old, I could see a hockey mask. And and no Jason. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, this is definitely the moment where Jason becomes an icon. And look, for me, it is not lost that, you know, the dude who's trying to get with a girl who's not particularly interested in him, a.k.a. Shelly and Vera, hands off his mask of, you know, kind of harassing women, because Shelly does do that to Vera at the dock, um, and threatens Vera at the dock with the lightly so, threatens, lightly <laughs> threatens. You know, I feel like it shouldn't escape the fact that that mask then gets handed off to the dude who did actually assault a woman in the woods, aka Jason. Someone's been reading the piece that I wrote. <gasps> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I learn from the best. Yeah, no. So, so look, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure you all want me to stop talking about themes, so I'll make this brief. But because this is a really fun movie, yeah. we're not we're not trying to ruin it for anybody. <laughs> Um, yeah, thematically, you know, again, it's interesting because because the theme here between or the connection between Shelly and Jason is they are sort of like the implication of the man behind the mask, you know, yep. uh, like like we wear this mask of kind of like innocence or whatever, you know, like there's a really great moment from Chris where she's talking with Rick and he says something about the woods being quiet and she's like, oh, the quiet can fool you. Mm-hmm. And you can read that a lot of ways. One way that I kind of read it is how. You know, it's sort of the quiet ones sometimes, like, you know, with with men or women, you know, Mm -hmm. or whatever, like, you know, just people like sometimes it's the quiet people that are the deceptive ones, you know, that there's something else there. And that's not always the case because I was a quiet kid for a long time. I think I'm normal. I'm not going to murder you, but (laughs) (laughs) God, I hope not. Um, but, but it's sort of this implication of that, you know, of like the quiet ones sometimes have this other side. Yeah. And, and so there is kind of that passing of that. There is kind of the perception of the man behind the mask, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I think also thematically, you know, one of the things that makes Vera stand out to me is kind of being one of the more tragic characters of the franchise is that, you know, I sort of assume that she doesn't really know for sure if Shelly's behind that mask or not. She does have that brief moment where she thinks it's him, and then she does say, who is that, as if she's kind of figuring out it's not Shelly. But we still don't know for sure. And when you put it in context of Vera is this woman who has just said no to Shelly, 
and then he, you know, scares her with the spear gun and says mm-hmm. things like, a beautiful girl like you shouldn't be out in the dark alone, you know? Like, she has all the reason to think that there's a possibility Shelly could harm her, you know? Yep. So, so I, you know, so it's kind of, like, tragic to think that in her last moment, she doesn't actually know if Shelly's killing her or not. Yep. <laughs> you know, and that's just kind of devastating, but on a happier note, I'm not really, but on a but on another <laughs> note, on another note, let's say, you know, it is just this really iconic moment of Jason getting this mask. Like mm-hmm. it, it's whoever whoever came up with that idea, and you know, it seems like no one in the cast really knows, but whoever came up with the idea to give Jason that mask instead of you know his face or <laughs> or the sack that he was wearing in part two, whoever came up with that is a fucking genius. Yes. Because uh, cause I don't I don't know that Jason would be the same if he never got that hockey mask. No, it's it's such an icon. And to your point, all of our big killers have something that makes them very identifiable. And it usually has to do with a face thing. Freddy is the only exception with his goddamn hand. Um, well, and he has a hat and a sweater. So yeah, what, No, it's, it's the hand. You know it's the hand. Yeah, but the thing with Freddy is you can also see his sweater and immediately go, Freddy. Oh, fair enough. But... Yeah, it is just this iconic moment. I do have a new headcanon for Jason, though, having okay. watched this film. And that's that I feel like part two, three, and four are so perfect together as Jason's journey from backwoods dude who has just never encountered humans before. And he has, like, come out of the woods in part two. Jason's journey from boy to man? Pretty much. <laughs> well, boy to pissed off, I'm going to murder everybody. Okay. Um, Because I feel like it's this thing where, like, you know, he shows up in part two because his mom died and he's trying to figure shit out. And, you know, he makes outsider art with human bodies. So that's why he's murdering everybody. Jason is an artist. Let's never deny this. He is. He is absolutely an artist. I will fight anybody on this. You, you call him an outsider artist? He is. That's what it's called. He does outsider art. <laughs> I'm... You know, and then part, you know, he has a bit of a rough time in part two. Part three, he shows up and he's really trying to socialize and he ends up getting murdered. He tries to make friends in the Jason way, which is murdering (laughs) other people. And he ends up getting murdered. And that's why he's so mean in part four, because he's like, you know what? I came outside to have a good time, guys, and I'm feeling really attacked right now. So fuck you. I'm going to murder everybody in this vicinity. That's absolutely what it is. Uh, Yes, it is. No. So this brings me to the ending just because I'm thinking of the shot where you're saying he just wants to be liked or whatever. Mm-hmm. I fucking love the shot in Chris's dream oh, where, where at the Jay- window? Yeah, where Jason pops up at the window and is like smiling and like clawing at the window and then runs out all excited, you know, like Because his it, girlfriend's there. Well, I, it in remind- Jason's mind. Well, he he's like an excited puppy that's happy that its owner is home, you know? Exactly. Like he, like he does he does the exact same thing that our fucking dog does, you know? Yep. Like <laughs> So I just, I love that about him. But as for this ending, you know, so first off, uh, just fun fact, there were actually multiple endings for this. Uh, oh. One of which was not filmed, which was the, the scripted ending for Friday 3 actually had Chris in her dream, or maybe it wasn't a dream, I don't quite remember, but actually had Chris chopping Jason's head off. <laughs> and, and the studio decided against that because, of course, they want to you know franchise yeah they want to leave jason alive potentially for another one you know Mm -hmm. it it, it was the same thing with almost every friday they always thought that was going to be the last one so it was the same with three they thought it was going to be the last one but they weren't sure so they're keeping their options open you know so that was the original scripted ending the alternate ending which was actually shot was 
Jason cuts Chris's head off in the dream. What the fuck? Which, which I actually think could have been fun. Yeah. <laughs> but I am, I do really love this ending that they came up with because you can really tell that one, that Steve Miner was a fan of the original, yep. uh, or, or that he at least understood what was so appealing about the original, and that, you know, Friday 3 is one of the movies in the franchise that is really for the fans, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, we, we complain about this sometimes now, you know, with films uh, directly homaging others and whatnot in franchises, but... But Friday 3 was kind of one of the early franchise films to really, like, heavily homage uh, what had come previously in the franchise with this ending here of, you know, Chris is in the boat, and it's just like the original Friday, only instead of Jason popping out, it's fucking undead Pamela Voorhees. (laughs) And to be honest with you, I'm almost kind of a little disappointed that we didn't actually get undead Pamela Voorhees any time after that in the franchise. It is unfortunate. We deserve more Pamela Voorhees. We absolutely do. Pamela was great, and Pamela did not deserve to just be buried in this franchise right? in, in place of Jason's. Bring back <laughs> Pamela Voorhees, goddammit. Bring back Pamela. I'm going to make it a fucking hashtag. I want Mama Bear Murderer back. <laughs> look, when we look at this film, it set up so many of the things that we're going to see in Friday the 13th. Bodies thrown through windows. Jason making body outsider art. It sets up that Jason's really fucking hard to kill because Chris puts him through the goddamn ringer and he barely stays down. Um, But for me, the most iconic part of this ending is Chris going away in the police vehicle, in the police Uh car, and having that mental break. And that's what I really love about this ending is that it is a reminder that our final girls do not get out of this unscarred. Um, They make it out, but they are fucked up afterwards yeah. and it's it's what i like about friday the 13th we don't get perfect final girls we get final girls who have scars and went through shit and that's why i love this that's why i love this franchise chris deserved so much better she deserved to go to the lake and just have a fun time but you she, know what she killed the dude who touched her and good for <laughs> her on that she did uh no but i mean but i mean this is the thing is like going back to the theme of it you know it is the dark side of friday three which mm-hmm. is ultimately you know this really fun party movie but this is the darker side of it is that you know again it's the it's the implication that or, or you know it's the it's the idea of this trauma like that like what happened to chris with mm-hmm. jason even before the movie and of course during the movie uh you know, trauma like that doesn't just go away. And, no. and it's this idea that, like, it will always kind of be with her in some way. And unfortunately, in her case, Jason kind of legitimizing or or digging up the reality of that, you know, was a little too much in yep. the moment. Like, we all we all hope that Chris, uh, that Chris recovers after this, mm-hmm. but... You know, but, she's a strong bitch. She's going to recover. Yeah, and she is. And something I didn't mention when I was defending her is that Chris actually really does fight back in a lot of moments in this yep. that that you don't see in every final girl in the franchise. So, um, she drops off down on him from the goddamn roof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I always think when I see that, like, man, what an embarrassing shot. If you're the actress, like, like no, nobody wants a shot of their crotch just falling on a camera. <laughs> she, but <laughs> she fucking teabag, tea, she fucking teabag Jason. That's, that's a power move. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, no, she, she poly pocketed all of us. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, but no, so, so, you know, there's definitely that idea. So, but something fun that I kind of want to mention here with the ending in, in my own little personal 
theory of of the Friday franchise is that mm-hmm. so so in watching this again, like I noticed the train imagery, and then I really noticed too how Chris's family's cabin is just so full of like artifacts and decorations from all around the world. You know, yeah. there's like uh, there's like what looks like African tribe mass. There's like a, a Buddha statue. Like there's, there's a Buddha statue. I didn't notice any of this shit. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> all over the place in the cabin. Like mm-hmm. it's it, it is not decorated like your typical. It's you not know, filled with deer heads. Yeah, it's not full of deer heads and basic bitch white people <laughs> shit. You know, like it's. <laughs> this is like fancy it, smart white people. Well, well, it gives the idea that like you know it made me start to wonder like is Chris's family like these archaeologists or something that travel all over the world and they get these ancient artifacts and whatnot you know and they and they have all this stuff or whatever and it just got me thinking you know if you actually and look the the Friday timeline is confusing as shit right but if you actually think of the timeline you know Chris says that she was attacked by Jason two years prior Mm -hmm. which would put that before the events of Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. And so that got me thinking, what if, you know, again, just my own theory, there's no implication of this in the franchise, but it's like, what if, you know, the reason Jason exists or the reason he came back to life and the reason that Camp Crystal Lake has any sort of power is that, you know, his family, like, brought back some kind of artifact or something like that that rejuvenated jason and you know brought you, him back to life are you trying to evil dead this shit i absolutely am you know <laughs> so so what if they like necrogonomicon that crap and 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 jason came back to life and then it also kind of gives a sense of like why there are these weird really powerful dreams happening in the first few films no. where it's this kind of idea of like it, it really is like a cursed lake almost and they are having these super perceptive realistic dreams you know, which ends up making them work of like, you know, so so the idea that they have these dreams, they are actually seeing reality. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not happening in the moment, but the the lake is so cursed by whatever Chris's family brought back that that they're able <laughs> to kind of perceive the the horror of it, you know, or the supernatural element of it. I, I like the idea of Deadite Jason. You know what? That lends more credence to the... Jason the, makes sense as a Deadite. Let's I, be honest. <laughs> I mean, that lends more credence. I haven't read it yet, even though we own it, but it lends more credence to the, the Jason versus Freddy versus Ash comic book crossover thing. Like, if Jason's part Deadite, part dream monster, no wonder both go. Ash and Freddy have to fight him. There you and go. And he destroys <laughs> both of them. I'm just saying, it's really fucking weird that Chris has all this shit all over her house, you know? Because it just... It just, it just, you know, it just, it's just a fun idea. All it's right. just a fun idea to think that Jason is like resurrected by some ancient artifact or something that's hanging out at Camp Crystal Lake somewhere. <laughs> I'm not opposed to that. I mean, we get fucking like psychics later on or telekinesis. Anything can happen in the Friday franchise. All right, exactly. So, so anyway, we do have to unfortunately start wrapping up Boo. as much as we love this movie and can talk about it forever. Uh, so, who's your killer idiot of Friday the 13th Part 3? Dude, that's the fucking like, like, punk gangster dude who like think his name is ollie is the one who like fights jason in the barn originally when they're about to set the barn on fire doesn't get murdered even though jason bashes his fucking skull in like multiple times hides in the barn for like hours to try to murder jason like he didn't hide in the barn to try to murder jason 
do you not understand what's going on there? <laughs> I don't understand why he didn't just leave once he woke up after his beating. Because he clearly woke up in the moment that Jason's attacking No, Chris. he came out of the closet. He, what are you talking about? No, he got beat to death in one of the, the horse stalls that they never use. And he comes out of a horse stall. No, he comes out of a fucking closet. Okay, either way, I don't think... Either I, way, why are you fighting Jason? He already beat your fucking ass. Just get out of there, man. Because he doesn't know that he's not human, Chris. <laughs> Dude, I, already kicked your ass once. Speaking of the barn, I forgot to mention earlier, too, that I, I also like... Because this is the only movie, too, where we actually know where Jason's hiding out the entire time. <laughs> right. And, and I do kind of love that he hides in the barn because it's almost like him hiding in the subconscious of Chris. <laughs> he's the horse they never got. Sure. Uh, <laughs> just ruin everything I'm trying to talk about. Um, uh-huh. So, so no, my, my killer idiot was just the biker game as a whole because, <laughs> basically because I'm just like, motherfuckers, why are you trying to start a fire in the middle of the day? Like, wait until <laughs> night when you can show up there and they can't see you. And they're so like, loud. Like, I'm not opposed to them committing the crime. I'm just like, do it smarter. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they very much do not. Yeah, so, so dumbasses, all of them. All right, we agree. <laughs> what, what about your killer death? Uh, look, that's Rick getting his eyes popped out. That death is just so much fun. Um, also, I think it's hilarious because it's the only time we ever see Jason hold someone hostage for oh. a hot second before he murders them. Also, I hate Rick. So. Well, uh, fair enough. Um, so that's also mine. And yeah. just to, just to Do ruin- we agree on this film? It's clearly the best death in the film, Chris. Yeah. Uh, but just... <laughs> But just to ruin it for you just a little, if you watch closely next time, you can actually see the fishing line that pulls out the eyeball. <laughs> Why would that ruin it for me? That makes it better. Well, fair enough. Uh, so no, watch watch for that the next time. It's it's very quick, but you can actually see the fishing line pulling it out, which is That's you know, so cool. hilarious. Uh, so what about your killer MVP of Friday 3? Yeah, obviously that goes to the effects team. Like, like doing the 3D shit is fucking hard. The kills were super fun. Basically, all the technical aspects of this film, like you were saying before, it's really fucking difficult, and they did a great job with it. So kudos. Kudos to the blood people and the 3D people and all that yeah. shit. Yeah, I mean, the effects are good. I, I d- the effects are good. They're not the best in the franchise, but they're yeah. good. Uh, I do actually really like uh, Andy's body and, you know, Andy played by Jeffrey Rogers, like, when, when he's found to be hanging up in the ceiling, mm-hmm. it actually is, like, really fucking scary. Yeah. Like, if, like I, I can imagine being the audience in 1982 seeing that, and that would have freaked me the fuck out. because, Because um, you really do see, like, his whole body just has been split in half, and it's it's pretty creepy, you know? It yeah. reminds me of something you'd see in, like, The Thing or something like that. But, um, but my killer MVP actually goes to Harry Manfredini, and... For one, I mean, obviously he created, you know, the iconic score. He was the composer of the original as well. Mm-hmm. He obviously created the iconic score, but just the way that he remastered it for part three to kind of give it more of that party vibe. Like, I really do think that he's a big part of what makes this movie fun. Yeah. Uh, is his score. And I just love how he kind of sets the sort of spooky fun atmosphere of it right from the beginning. Uh, so, so I, I have to give it to Manfredi for this one. I, I just really think that he knocked it out of the park with the score on this. Oh, absolutely. Um, so every week on Twitter at Killer Critics, we always like to put up a poll, kind of getting your thoughts and feelings with the film and what you think of it. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, never seen it, where do you think the audience fell on Friday 3? I only accept love it. Love it did win, but not by as much as I thought it would. So, I don't care, it still won. <laughs> so love it got 52.7%. It's fine. Got forty percent. 
Don't Like It got 2.7%, and Never Seen It got 4.5%. Well, I'm sad for you, 4.5%. You've missed out. Go watch it. <laughs> yeah, so, if you want. Yeah, so that, that's roughly kind of what I thought. I mean, I didn't expect this one to explode with Love It because it is kind of one of the lesser appreciated, I think, films in the franchise. It's tough when Jason's uh, a rapist. It, it is tough when Jason is that way, yes. Yeah. <laughs> also, Jason X uh, is the best one, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, but so we always like to get comments from you all as well. So these are all from Twitter. Uh, first up is at sinful underscore redhead. So that's S-I-N-N-F-U-L underscore redhead. And this is my friend Sarah. She does a podcast as well. You should check her out. Uh, she says, I love this movie. 1982 was an awesome year. It was filmed in 3D, and Jason gets his iconic mask. Is it the best in the franchise? No, I think Jason X is better. <gasps> but it does kick off the franchise, and when people think of Jason, this is the image they usually think of. Okay, I'm divorcing Matt. I'm marrying you because you get me. You get I, it. I get it. I get. Yeah. I do get it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Sarah's better looking than me, too. So. Yeah, she gets it. She gets everything. 100% correct. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with Sarah. You know, this this maybe isn't the best in the franchise, but it is very iconic within yep. the franchise um, and does deserve more appreciation. It really is a really, really fun slasher film. Yeah, just ignore you know? the parts where he's assaulting a woman and you'll love every other just, part. Just just ignore the, the 10 to 20 seconds awfulness of the pee movie break. and the rest is great. <laughs> That's when you go to your pee break. The pee break time, yes. Yep. Um so thank you at sinful underscore redhead for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at Eric Malcolm. So that's E-R-I-C-M-A-L-C-O-L-M. And they say, was originally one of my least favorites, but over the years has greatly grown on me and consider it one of the most fun installments. I have it ranked number four overall in the series, only behind part six, part four, and part two. Yeah, I... I absolutely get behind that. I think that sometimes this one is a hard one to love at first just because of certain aspects of it. But I'm so glad that on rewatch, it's it's ranked higher for you. Because I feel the same way. This was lower for me. But being able to watch it again, he gets his mask. Too much iconic shit happens. Also, eyeballs pop out. You can't not love that. And who doesn't love popping eyeballs? Um, so I know I do. <laughs> so no, I, 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 I am glad as well that it's become more of one of your favorites, you know, the same thing happened for me. It's really interesting in that way. I, I wonder if it's the same for a lot of people is, you know, Friday 3 is one that has really grown on me over the years too, you know? You have to give it time to get over the assault. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> Meg cringes every time I say that. It's I just beautiful. Know why you, I just know why you got to keep mentioning it's it. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, but it's, yes, it did. Uh, but yeah, so no, I it, it's been the same for me. And that, that's roughly a similar ranking to mine as well. Like, part six and part four are my favorites as well. And then part two and and one and X are somewhere in there. So. X is number one. I don't actually have a ranking. It is not number one, but Jason <gasps> X is a lot of fun. <laughs> Rude. Uh, so anyway, thank you at Eric Malcolm for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at Jamie... Or next up is a comment from Jamiro Queer. So that's J-A-M-I-R-O... Q-U-E-E-R, and they say this was praised as one of the most well-executed early 80s 3D movies, and it is. Cleverly staged for that and effectively shot, and of course it introduces the instantly iconic hockey mask. We love it. Flat, it's okay, but in 3D, it's too fun. Watch out for falling books. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, this is one of probably my favorite 3D movies. Granted, I can't remember a whole bunch of other ones, but... Of course you can. <laughs> Having said that, this is one of the most effective 
3D horror films because, like every other Jason film, it has fun with what it's doing. Yeah. No, I, I do think it's one of the better 3D 80s films as well. Uh, I do think it's really effectively staged. And, you know, I didn't mention earlier that, uh, well, the eye pop is probably my, like, the actual best 3D moment. I do also love the really campy moments like the fucking yo-yo, <laughs> you know, coming down to the camera like, who the hell thought of that? <laughs> genius. Genius. Just did. absolute genius. Um, and also the falling books, you know, Brooker actually mentions how that really fucking hurt because because oh. those are books falling like two stories onto him, you know, and they're heavy books. Oh. <laughs> so he's like, that's why my arms are going up like that fucking hurt. Uh, but anyway, thank you at uh, Jamiro Queer for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is a comment from at run Kyle run 13. I can already hear Chris's reaction to this one. Uh, so they say, this is probably my least favorite in the series besides Jason picking up his mask and the whole movie feels like it's playing it way too safe. Dull kills plot points and characters. Jason's flashback sexual assault scene feels off for the character. The 3d is a pleasant bonus. <laughs> you made me sad right now. Um, but look I but everyone has their own favorites so that's true and i agree with you it's really tough i think to get past the assault thing so one thing that i would not to like change your mind or anything like that but if you ever have a chance to watch this film without watching that portion of it i mean yeah there are much better kills in the rest of the franchise um, but if the only thing that you like out of this film is the fact that he gets his mask that's valid because that mask is fucking dope <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so no, you know, my, yeah, this is the thing that I think is really fun about this franchise. And honestly, why I just like being a horror fan, mm -hmm. where we do have so many franchises to yeah. talk about, is that, you know, it, I always, I always like to keep in mind that every film is somebody's favorite movie. Yeah. And that also means that every film is someone's least, least favorite, favorite. <laughs> when it comes to these franchises, right? So, so I love that, like, you know, and I'm, and I'm, I hope you never get, you know, any crap for this being your least favorite in the mm -hmm. series, because I love that we all have our own opinions on the franchise and kind of where we rank these films. Um, cause they each kind of give all of us something different to appreciate. Right. Absolutely. So, so when it comes to that, like, yeah, I can totally see why it's not your favorite, especially, you know, for the, <laughs> the character deviation that none <laughs> that of us like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know anybody that likes no, that that's in this movie <laughs> so, no. and and even you know even um even dana kimmel says that she asked minor like what that's all about and he's like i don't know, <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay like, that's awful it makes me sad <laughs> like like nobody really had an answer of why that's there or what happens to chris uh, so that's know? the worst you know that's it's just kind of there so um so anyway, uh, no, definitely see where you're coming from with this. And the 3D is a pleasant bonus. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so thank you at RunCowRun13 for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, and then lastly is a comment from at Shannon Morant. So that's S-H-A-N-N-O-N-M-O-R-A-N-T. And this is James. I want to give a special shout out to James, who is the reason that we're, or, you know, one of the reasons that we're doing this uh, topic this month is because James has been requesting that we do Friday three for its 40th anniversary, which is this week. He's been requesting it for a very long time. Oh, thanks James. And, and we wanted to make sure we did this for James. So thank you, James for pushing us to do this one. I hope you've enjoyed it up to this point. Uh, and anyway, so James just had a couple questions or anyway, so James just had a question for us and uh, we've kind of already answered it a bit, but he wanted to ask, what did you think about the ending? Cause it didn't make any sense. Chris doesn't know who Jason is. So how can she have a dream about Mrs. Voorhees? 
Um, look, we can all have dreams about fucking freaky women coming out of the goddamn lake to get us. And to be fair, you know, in, in the first one, she didn't really know too much about Jason. Um, you know, our final girl from there. So, fuck it. Who cares? I guess it's because it's because of, I don't know, the mystic shit that Matt okay, was talking so, about. So, Chris's answer to you, James, is who cares, I guess. <laughs> also, Pamela. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> Drunk. What do you want from me? And and my answer, I guess, is what I was saying before. You know, like if we wanna if we wanna try to explain it in any way, my explanation is there is some kind of artifact that Chris's family brought back <laughs> that has turned Camp Crystal Lake into a supernatural hotspot. <laughs> Where people just have really fucked up dreams about the Voorhees families. <laughs> Matt's answer is deadite shit. Yeah, so does it make sense? Absolutely not. Nope. But that's my theories. <laughs> We're going to go with uh, it because it was cool. So anyway, thank you again, uh, at Shannon Morant, for the comment. Thank you again for pushing us to do this this month. Really appreciate you. Uh, so uh, as far as releases go this week, uh, it's actually a pretty interesting week, a fun week. Uh, first up is a film called Fall, which is coming to VOD on Friday. And this is basically one about a couple of people that climb a really tall tower and get stuck up there. Um, it looks interesting. It's... I've heard mixed reviews of it so far. I've also heard that it's a bit of a ripoff of 47 meters down. <laughs> but up. Uh, yeah, but up. And uh, and I also saw a, an article about how they changed all the fucks using, um, using deepfake technology to change the fucks to like something else. To make it PG-13, which definitely rubs me the wrong way. Ew. <laughs> uh, but despite all of that, I'm a sucker for survival horror in you this are. realm with with these kind of locations. So and and I'm dead deathly afraid of heights. Uh, so hopefully that'll be good. I haven't seen it yet myself. Again, mixed reviews, but hopefully it's good. Uh, and then let's see. Next up is a film called Day Shift, which is coming to Netflix on Friday. And this basically looks a lot like blade but with jamie fox dave franco and snoop dogg hunting vampires uh so what an odd combination very odd combination but it looks fun as hell i'm super into it uh so hopefully that'll end up being fun so again that's on netflix on friday and then lastly uh the film bodies 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 is coming to theaters nationwide and i have seen this one i loved it i thought it was great it's basically uh and then there were none but with Ooh but with Gen Z, you know? Uh, so so this one's basically about a bunch of people at a party who are playing this game and someone ends up dead and then they're trying to figure out like who the killer is and things just kind of escalate from there and a bunch of secrets come out and stuff like that. Uh, so it's really fun. I had a great time with it. Uh, definitely worth your time. So go check that out if you can. Uh, next week, we're going to be doing Forbidden World, Roger Corman's Forbidden World, uh, which is streaming on Tubi if you want to check it out there and get your homework done there. Otherwise, that's going to do it for us. So I'm Matt. And I'm Chris. And have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore horror underscore critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans.